for August 11th, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 319. The things you liked actually were awesome. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, I'm Matt Rather. Uh, I am here with fellow podcasters Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. Cowabunga. No, we got to keep meeting like this. This has been uh, three podcasts for us in one week because it was just you and me last week. We have this one and and we pre-taped a little special something which might be released on the site. Next week, or might not. No. It All won't. I'm saying is that if you don't love that podcast, you may never love me again. So. Oh, Pete! <laughs> I can still hear you saying you would never break the chain. <laughs> you can still hear it over and over in my head. I just hear it over and over. Yeah. Um, well, if you don't love this podcast now, you will never love this podcast again. But uh, because uh, we're going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, and the film, uh, the recent remake, 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 remake of uh the remake. film <laughs> wiki, uh we have with us uh the foremost expert the world's foremost expert the published author on uh, the subject of teenage mutant ninja turtles uh analysis it's richard rosenbaum hey hello how are you thank you for coming hey i think i can feel my shell tightening how are you guys <laughs> <laughs> my shell is cracked just tape it up yeah <laughs> I'm shell shocked. <laughs> knock knock. You're about to get shell shocked. Uh, yep. <laughs> that was great. That was not. Uh, that was so good. That was not even. Uh, it didn't approach R. Kelly's Gotham City, which, which in my mind is the uh, is the best after credits song ever. Um, but uh, but it was really a great a great song. But before we dine on turtle soup, uh, first the question of the week, gentlemen. Panel. Amazon, uh, the online retailer, formerly bookseller, now retailer of literally everything, whose affiliate links you can find all over overthinkingit.com, and we encourage our readers to use them and thank them for using them when you shop at Amazon, as you all do, because there is literally nowhere else to shop in the universe. Um, We appreciate when you begin your journey to that great monolith of a retailer through overthinkingit.com site, and we get a small kickback. from uh, from all the things that you buy uh, there. And we appreciate that because it helps us keep the lights on at the OTI Dome. Amazon is in a contract dispute with one of the big publishers, Hachette, and, uh, and there have been sort of back and forth, and there's news you can read up about this. But the upshot of this is that Amazon has taken Hachette products off of their shelves. You can't buy this publisher's books on Amazon as a uh, as a tactic to strong arm the uh, to strong arm the publisher into accepting uh, the terms that Amazon would like to impose on whatever deal they happen to be negotiating, um, and you know feel free to elaborate or well actually me in the comments I'm sure that doesn't even begin to capture the subtleties and nuances of the situation. Um, it also was reported this weekend that that Amazon has stopped. Uh, stopped carrying some Disney products. For example, you can't get Muppets movies on Amazon's VOD service, right? So this is something uh, that's backfired on them in the past with a uh, with a textbook publisher. Uh, this is something that they're willing to uh, take out of their arsenal by just taking you off the uh, taking you off the Amazon shelves and more or less. Um, uh, ensuring that you kind of don't exist in the online retail world. So um, let's help Amazon use their powers for good, guys. Uh, what should Amazon stop stocking next? What would you like them to stop carrying? You can pick a product and you can eliminate it from uh, from the Amazon shelves uh, what product is it going to be? Alphabetical order. Pete, you're up first. Hey, Matt. I guess I'll lead with the one Amazon purchase that I made recently that I was least satisfied with. Ah. 
uh, and I and it's it's perhaps not exactly what you would expect. It is a it it, it is a a a thing, I suppose, a thing, an accoutrement that were you to search for it specifically on Amazon, you would get at least now no fewer than seven hundred nine different results for this one item. And uh, this particular item, I purchased one of the results, not really being able to differentiate all that well between some of the different examples that were given. And of course, it was entirely wrong to the point of being useless. And and this is merely one tiny, these 709 results are merely one tiny sliver of one tiny sliver of a, a vast array of accoutrement that Amazon should probably not even be selling anyway. Um, and I hate to let my real-life uh, obsessions that are not necessarily pop culture-related leak into the Overthinking It podcast more than once in a month or two, but I am talking about car emblems. In particular, <laughs> I am talking about a rear trunk emblem for a 2005 Honda Civic, which uh, was stolen by hoodlums. I'm, I feel like even – this is an interesting situation. If someone steals a 2005 Honda Civic emblem off the trunk of a car, that by person is by definition a hoodlum. You do not have to have other characteristics to be a uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be – well, you might have to steal one off the hood. Oh, to be a hoodlum? That's supposed to be a hoodlum. You're a, you're a trunk, might be a trunk trunklum, yeah. Trunklum has fallen out of use since the, the late Renaissance as or a, a term. I mean, in, in England, it would be a bootlum, right? Right. Well, okay. So, so why do people buy emblems for cars? Uh, I assume it's just to put them on trophy necklaces like, like ears in awful dystopian Vietnam books, right? Like, where it's just like, I just want to carry the emblems of all the cars that I've stolen emblems from. Uh, or I suppose it's to replace the emblem that was on your car before a hoodlum or a trunklum stole it from you, <laughs> right? But this whole business just seems rotten, right? Like this whole business of like, well, I'm going to steal the emblem and then... And I'm going to buy another one, and then this person's going to have to buy another one, and then they'll put it on, and then I'll steal that one, so they can't buy one that's better than the one that I already stole, because I'll just steal a different one. Um, and then, of course, you wonder, who are these intermediary dealers who are selling Honda emblems on Amazon, and is there a loop wherein people are stealing the emblems off of cars, mm. selling them to car part shops, mm. which then turn around and sell them on Amazon or on eBay or on other places, and then you could then buy that, put it on your car, and have it stolen and go back through the circle again and again and it's again. It's the circle of lies. <laughs> It's just so frustrating. And the other factor was that there's so many different trims of car, right, and so many different styles of car. And without actually having a ruler, uh, which, of course, I did not employ the way I very well might have been able to, uh, you may very well just get one that doesn't fit. And then you're just like, well, I'm an idiot. You didn't – when you rented the car, you didn't immediately measure the trunk emblem? Uh, I, this wasn't a rental car. I didn't like – what do you mean? Oh, I, oh, I see. I see. It was, <laughs> I didn't uh, like – oh, wait. There, I was not driving a rental car and then have hoodlums steal the hood emblem from the rental car and then go on Amazon to buy a replacement before I returned the rental car for fear of like paying a fee for the loss of the – I'm pretty sure that you have to pay insurance. That's the other racket, right, is that you can then buy insurance from a rental car agency, which will additionally pay the rental car agency for the theft of the emblem that is then being purchased on Amazon after being sold to a fencer from the person who stripped it off the car. Uh, you this see, is- I, yeah, I missed it. I missed the, the crucial the crucial thing. You said the car I was driving and just assumed it was a rental car. No, 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 no. Sorry, it was my girlfriend's car. Oh, my girlfriend's no. car had the emblem stolen. And I got her a new one as a surprise present, and it didn't fit. And that's oh, why I've had an emblem. You weren't, and you weren't even responsible for the theft no. of the emblem. The car wasn't even in your care. This was just a thing you did to be a good guy, and Amazon yes. failed you. And Amazon freaking failed me because it's a circle of theft and of disappointment. <laughs> It's the Honda emblem. <laughs> so I'm venting a little bit there. I'm venting a little bit. But uh, but I just like, why does Amazon have thousands and thousands and thousands of car emblems on sale? Let's see. I'm on Amazon like, now. Honda emblem. I'm going to leave a, uh, ah, yes, genuine Honda accessories. I'm going to leave a... Um, uh, I'm going to leave an affiliate. <laughs> no affiliate. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave an affiliate link in the show notes. Okay. If you buy any Honda emblems, buy them through uh, our yeah. Amazon link, and then hey. tag them with radioactive iodine so that we can track them. <laughs> and if we buy them again through Amazon, we know that we've bought the same Honda emblem twice. So there you go. Excellent, Richard. You are next in the alphabet, sir. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm glad you could join us tonight. Thanks very much. It's always great to be here. So you are podcasting. If you don't mind me. 
uh, revealing your your secure, undisclosed location. You are are podcasting from a wedding. Yes, yes, I am. And uh, uh, podcasting from right outside a wedding, actually. How how was the wedding? Oh, very beautiful. It was it was very very nice. Lots of. Uh, Lots of black-hatted people dancing around in circles and raising each other up on chairs and stuff. Excellent. And what, the, uh, what kind of hats? Like big, big bowler hats or top hats? Uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a trilby party? <laughs> oh man, I wish. It's a, you know, it's a Jew party. It's a, like oh, a really, okay. a really, really Jew party. So they're wearing uh, British bobby hats, is what you're saying. Right, exactly. <laughs> With big silver silver emblems on the front. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and so uh, the party rages on uh, just, in, just on the other side of the door, but you have, you have stepped out uh, into the wilderness amongst the crickets. Uh, yeah, that- I'm actually uh, inside a, a beautiful uh, gazebo <laughs> right on the other side of the parking lot. Ah, I feel like there should be a stock photo of you where you are. I can imagine a gazebo like lit with candles or with those, uh, with those, you know, holiday lights, those like icicle Christmas lights that go up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take a picture. We can put it in the show notes. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah. You can just text that to me and we'll get it up. (laughs) We'll get it up online. Uh, so, uh, what would you like Amazon to stop selling? Okay. Well, uh, it's, it's well known that, that Amazon not only sells, products and goods, but they, they also actually have services. Uh, so I think that um, Amazon should uh, stop uh, shipping. They should have to, they, they, they just, you know, usually Amazon, they'll actually deliver these products right to your door. It's very convenient. Um, but, but imagine if they set up locations like physical, I don't know what to call it, you know, brick and mortar buildings where you could go maybe they'd have the products inside these buildings and you could physically travel there uh-huh. rather than rather than sit behind your computer and and just wait uh i think it could be a, a really revolutionary uh marketing and and delivery strategy for for amazon like it's a brand new a brand new uh brand new so they, you're saying that they, um, they, they should just store the products. That's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah. In some kind of, um, in some kind of storage, you know, yes. and that you travel, you yourself travel to the storage, uh, and pick out, pick out the things, uh, that exactly. you want from there. Exactly. Imagine, huh. imagine how different the world would be if you could go to a place where they store goods and just hmm. get them and right. not have to wait. Right. Wow. Man. Right? I, you know what? I feel like that is that is quite a tale that you have told. I wonder <laughs> if anyone will ever tell that tale again and re- retail it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, but alas, tis not to be, right? No, Amazon, yeah. I, they lack the bold vision necessary yeah. to 3D print their virtual environment into, <laughs> into meat space. Yeah, they never so, listen to my suggestions. No, no. <laughs> I leave so many. Yeah, mostly, and I put lucky numbers after the end of each of them, like the suggestions of fortune <laughs> cookies, just to make them more persuasive. Because lucky numbers make something more persuasive. So Indeed. let me, I mean, let me, uh, I mean, because this, this is a, a hot button topic that comes up, right? Like, oh, a hot button is maybe putting it a little too strongly. But this warm is, button. Yeah, this is a kind of a lukewarm button topic, uh, you know, that comes up from time to time, right? As people sort of talk about the environmental impact of, of, all this online shopping that we do, um, all this online shopping that we do these days, right? And the, the fact that there is this fleet of sort of UPS cars and things like this that, that bring things to us, uh, it's sometimes through subspace, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, brought on roller skates, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. By, by a, um, uh, by a roller skating, by a roller skating kind of manic pixie dream girl who has these inexplicable payouts. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the the um, uh, you know that that this has a, a bad 
environmental impact. I, I don't know, though. I mean, right, like r- having a bunch of individual people drive their SUVs, right, to a big box retailer ha- has got to be at least as bad, if not worse, you know? I mean, I'd, I'd actually rather uh, outsource the transportation to someone like UPS, right, because they do it at scale. Um, they have uh, a great deal of incentive to, they have a great many incentives to, like, highly optimize uh, in terms of resource consumption, their right. their load, their route, you know, yeah, uh, they're not making they're not making a, a a two way trip for every single package. Whereas if you're actually going to buy something, that's what you're doing, right? And and things like Amazon Prime, which I confess I am a I am a you know member dues paying member of. Um, <laughs> They're going to pay you. They're going to start paying you for that now, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> they, um, you know, I, it does change your relationship with online retail where you just, uh, you like just order like one thing, you know, like a pen. It's never that, it's never that bad, but like single book or something like that. And it's, it's two days shipped. Um, but, uh, but I still have to imagine, you know, I don't know, I would be running down to the CVS to get that pen or to the Office Max that's next to the CVS or to the Albertsons that's next to the Office Max that's next to the CVS, right? Like, uh, to get that thing. So I, ca- I can't imagine that it's not a net positive to leave the actual driving on the roads to the professionals. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. It, it, seems, like, uh, it seems like it ought to be. Um, all right, so here's mine. Uh, not because um, not because this is bad, but because it's almost too good. Uh, friends, buddies, uh, fellow panelists, pals of mine, I have a problem. I have a magazine problem uh, specifically. I subscribe. You got ammo? Is that <laughs> <laughs> reloading? <laughs> <laughs> I subscribe to magazines uh like uh and I it's a problem that I have. So I um I like d- subscribe to a bunch of magazines, they show up, it's this wasteful paper thing, they are all in piles in the other room as I write as I speak as I speak this, as I write with my voice the contents of this podcast. Um to you, I uh, I have this this problem, and Amazon has whatever because they know me better than I know myself. They know like every embarrassing purchase I've ever made. They know every uh, you know literary biography I've ever bought. They know um, every cream and unguent I have ever purchased. Uh, they know me better than I know myself, and they just put these magazines in front of me uh, like like crack. So I, I subscribed to Wired magazine the other day because you could get it for a dollar or something like that. And I, and I, I don't want to read Wired magazine. You know, I read Wired magazine back in volume two when it was cool and cool people were writing for it. And it's not, I just don't think it's cool anymore, you know? And, and it's, um, uh, God, I'm looking back through my Amazon purchases and your orders. You can go back to the beginning of time and and look at all of your Amazon orders if you uh, if you want to. And and certain of these are very um, certain of these are very uh, very embarrassing, including um, a uh, including a VHS copy of Into the Woods, uh, the film of the musical starring Bernadette Peters. Um, anyway, I why got, is that embarrassing? That's oh, great. I don't know. Yeah, I think she's awesome in that show. I think it's. I think it's good. But that I that I had to buy it on on VHS. I don't know. Is something something about it? Um, uh, so yeah, I'm looking. God, look at this. The Madrigals of Jeswaldo, uh, Leonard Cohen's various positions. The Essential Gore Vidal, a book uh, that I bought in what year am I looking at? A book that I bought in 1999 that still sits unread, having moved from coast to coast with me. Um, that still sits in the other room un- unwed. Yeah, so I have these magazines. So now I have Wired uh, sta- standing on top of the New Yorker, standing on top of you know I don't know all the all the learned journals like uh, the London Review of Books and uh, oh, oh what's the one that I got the other day? Lapham's Quarterly. Um, really nice. I wish they would stop. I wish they would stop selling these magazines or else sell them uh, as you know digital only. 
uh, in digital only form that I could get on my iPad or something like that because it's it's uh, it's not you know it's not good to to give an addict the things that they are. Ah, oh, I'm looking at Amazon's homepage now. Um, it's it's yep. There's a big magazine section. Oh, I want all of these. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you want to see my my so my so the orders it looks like they track orders back to 2006. Yep. And oh, so, mine go back to 1997 when I started uh, when oh, I started okay. shopping on Amazon. Okay, so so 1997 just, when the universe began. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, so I bought one thing in 2006 as a wedding present for a friend, one thing in 2007 as a birthday present for my sister, nothing in 2008, and then in 2009, I bought the very first thing on Amazon for myself that they have on record. And it was a Wii Fit balance board, which is pretty awesome. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed using um, I don't buy from Amazon a lot. Yeah, that's uh, the. Have you ever done the uh, the console game fitness set? What well, we fit balance board. Yeah. My brother does like uh, Xbox plyometric workouts. Yeah, like connect like tra- Nike connect and, training. And he and was uh, bragging to me about it the other day. He was like, "Matt, I could go jogging with you, but you could never keep up because you know I want to run a bunch of stadiums." You know, and then run a bunch more stadiums. You know, <laughs> does uh, does throwing Xbox plyometric workouts? Does does throwing controllers like at the wall in uh, range count as? Cool. Well, guys, I think it's time to dine <laughs> on uh, on turtle wow, soup. Harsh. So um, I think Richard, we should send it. We should send it to you. To right. uh, we should send it to you to kick off. All right. Well. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I just had a I had a snafu with my audio. Did I just stomp over you guys talking or something? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Richard was getting started on something, and then you were just like, "And we're going to get going." Oh no, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. It was uh, no, sorry. It's the wrong. fault of my. It's the fault of of damn Skype. Grr, I curse you, Skype. Except uh, that you made it possible to have a podcast these 300 episodes and change. Richard, what were you about to say? I want to. Uh, I want to throw it to you for <laughs> for turtle soup. But what were you about to say? I feel bad that I missed it. No problem. I was just. Uh, I was just wondering if uh, throwing the controller at the wall in rage counts as like exercise yes then yes then i have absolutely that is uh i think that's something that they do in crossfit right (laughs) yeah yes i can (laughs) confirm this as somebody does crossfit i can confirm that we do that all the time uh did you see did you see the article pete about about romance in the new york times this weekend about romance blossoming in the crossfit studio New York Times is on it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But by, by the way, I'm I'm approaching my one year anniversary with my girlfriend that I met at CrossFit. So, <laughs> so the New York Times is on it. <laughs> they're, they're right. <laughs> Cutting on, edge. They're right on top of that. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Now I have uh, the audio is working. Skype is not uh, crapping out. All right, Richard. Now we want to know. Uh, yep. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. How bad was it? It wasn't. As bad as I feared. A ringing endorsement from the world's <laughs> foremost expert on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, uh, but that might be because I read the original script um, that they threw out, that they uh, threw into the shredder, as Michael Bay wittily remarked. Uh, so tell us, tell, us, tell us about that, the history of that, and how, it, uh, uh, how that all came to pass. Right, so when... Uh, when it was first announced that Platinum Dunes, which is Michael Bay's uh, production company, had got the rights to do the a Ninja Turtles movie, um, everybody was very sad. <laughs> and then uh, shortly before uh, shooting was set to begin, the script leaked to the internet. And it included such great new concepts as the turtles being aliens instead of mutants uh and uh not really being in the movie that much it was mostly about april o'neill and casey jones and their romance and uh the turtles didn't appear nearly as much as they should have um and there's actually an oblique reference to this thrown-out script in the new movie, the movie that actually got made, uh, where where uh, April is telling her her cameraman 
uh, Vern Fenwick about the turtles. And he says, okay, so they're aliens? And she goes, no, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is yeah. a very inside baseball line, but uh, I appreciated yeah. it. <laughs> I feel like the movie was doing that constantly, though. Like the, the movie, the, the, this new movie was constantly commenting on itself and also yeah. commenting on the relative legitimacy of the project it had endeavored upon. Uh, yeah, I think it did. It was kind of apologizing for itself mm-hmm. in more than in more than one place. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's difficult. Like I, I kind of. Okay, I was gonna say I don't envy them. You know, the writers and producers, their. Uh, their their project, but that's a lie. I do. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I wish I could write the Ninja Turtles movie. Are you kidding? I, I, I envy it them. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's also it's rough. I mean, they did. It looks like they really kind of tried to respond to uh, fan criticism in a way that I'm not sure. Um, movies usually do, and in a way which Michael Bay, who didn't direct the movie but did produce it, um, tends not to care about usually. Like, I think that he's very uh, kind of, okay, this is what you get, and I'm doing whatever I want, and you're going to probably come come pay for it anyway. With this, they not only, when the internet exploded, when this uh, original script leaked, and everybody said, okay, this is the stupidest thing we've ever heard, they actually trashed the script. They did a page one rewrite on the script. The uh, shooting was set to begin less than a month after this leak. And they shut down production. They shut down pre-production um, in order to rewrite the script from the beginning because of... They deny this, but come on. It's because of the universally negative response to the leak of the, of the script. Um, it also looks like... Because William Fitchner who plays Eric Sachs. Uh, who deserves a frickin' medal for some of the sentences that he says with a straight face in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's... I mean, he's always good, you know? Yeah. He's... he's he, he elevates the... He elevates the, the movie. Yeah. Do you guys, oh, do you guys I'm going think... To be, I'm going to be rich. Like, stupid rich. I believe it's <laughs> yeah. one of the lines. <laughs> anyway, what, yeah. what were do you, you saying? Do, do you think... Yeah, yeah. Does he, do you ever think of him as the... Uh, as the slightly more evil-looking Steven Weber. Oh, I tend to think of him as a as a, as James Woods with more cardiovascular endurance. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Right. Uh. Well, I mean, remember him in uh, it was uh, it was uh, Spirit of Vengeance, wasn't it? Am I, wrong? Am I wrong about that? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was in that. I think so. Although now as, as like one of the only people who praises uh, Spirit of Vengeance, if I'm saying yes to you without really thinking about it, then uh, I will get in all sorts of trouble from the fan community of that movie, which doesn't exist. Um, but yeah, no, he's been a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I tend to describe him to people as the main cop from Prison Break when I pe- want people to recognize who he is. Right, right, right. Yeah, like he's yeah, a very... Yeah. He's a very good actor, and he's a very he's very good at um, making ridiculous stuff seem more plausible. Yeah. So that was good. But the point is that he uh, was apparently supposed to be playing the Shredder. Oh. And in interviews, uh, uh, you know, only only a few months ago, he was talking about, you know, yeah, I'm playing the Shredder in this movie, and. Again, the the uh, the response was overwhelmingly negative. It's like, well, no, you're a white guy. You're a really good actor, but you're a white guy, and the Shredder is Asian. Like, you're not playing the Shredder. You can't be playing the Shredder. In the movie that we actually got, he's kind of the henchman of the Shredder, who is an Asian guy, who doesn't get any character development, although nobody really gets any character development. But it, what it looks like happened is they went back and they reshot scenes to make Eric Sachs, William Fitchner, not the Shredder anymore. To make him the, you know, the sidekick, the, the mini-boss. Yeah. 
So, so with William Fitchner, just as a quick rundown, some of the movies with extremely implausible plot lines that William Fitchner lends a sort of bleary-eyed, authentic, uh, bleary-eyed authority to include Elysium, the Johnny Depp Lone Ranger, uh, um, let's see, uh, Drive Angry. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, not Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. No, no, not right, Ghost right, right. Vengeance. right, right, uh, right. Date I Night, Date Night them. with uh, Steve Carell and Tina Fey. Uh, but even going way back, Blades of Glory, Equilibrium, Ultraviolet, right? Like, uh, he's, he's huge, yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, so he's, and Armageddon, of course. He's big in Armageddon. He's uh, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the main captains of the spaceships in Armageddon. Because uh, he's right. a Michael Bay dude, and he does Michael Bay stuff sometimes. I guess so. So it looks uh, like yeah. the de- the degree to which this movie was um, react uh, reacting to uh, fan response, mm-hmm. uh, it seems pretty significant, which is unusual. Like, I, yeah, the it it improved the movie. Like you can see, you can I think watching the movie, you can really see that um, the Shredder stuff. It was completely tacked on like it it pokes holes in the plot such as it such as there is um with its giant you know uh transformer robot samurai yeah yeah, yeah. transformer like uh blades gauntlets yeah um How, i mean well, it's show it, his face show his face only in shadow right yeah they yeah, show yeah. the shredder's face only in shadow and then they never reveal it because it's right. not important it doesn't matter right <laughs> but he speaks in japanese yep and he's clearly a Japanese yep. guy, like yes, uh, which is this, what he, uh, Eric Sachs, which clearly is supposed to be the anglicization of Orokusaki, right? Oh, see, I was sitting there thinking, why is his name not Baxter Stockman? Because that's yes. who that character should be. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I yeah. totally agree. I thought exactly the same thing. If they had been that, see, that's another thing. If they had been, if this had been the the plot from the beginning, I think that's what they would have done. Yes, and that's but great because, because then at the end of the movie, he gets to get transformed into a fly monster by the mutagen, sure. right? And then, or like even in the middle of the movie, and then you have a whole other plot where you yep. have like the scientist has become a fly monster, and does he like lash out at the shredder because of what he's become, and do they have a conflict? Right. right? Like, there's all sorts of possibilities that open up when you start. Yeah, or else, or else, even like in the original comics, um, Baxter becomes a cyborg. He, mm. he turns himself into a cyborg. That yeah. also yeah. would have been really cool. It would have been a yeah. good excuse to do Transformers kind of things. Yeah. But but they didn't. So clearly yeah. what they did was they made Shredder a white guy. And everybody got really upset. And they went back and said, okay, this is probably going to hurt us. Let's let's fix it. Let's and make him a robot. <laughs> let's make him. Yeah, let's make I'll him a robot. A Japanese no, 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 it's a Japanese robot. A Japanese, a Japanese guy inside a robot suit. Inside right? a robot suit, yeah. Yes. Which I think does improve it. Like, yeah, it it, it does improve it, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I went into this with such low expectations. Yeah. That any good, any good thing that was part of it impressed me. That that's possible, and uh, you know, like I'm a Ninja Turtle fan from way back, right? But I'm also kind of a purist about it, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it balances out. What did what did you guys think? So so the, to, to jump off of what you were saying, and I actually really enjoyed the process of watching this movie, um, which is very different from saying that this was a good movie, <laughs> or that you enjoyed the yeah. movie. You enjoyed the process of watching the movie. Yeah, it was was it because funny. you went to a you went to a really fancy movie theater that you posted uh-huh. about on Facebook with like uh-huh. a leather love seat with recliners on it? Did you, have, did you have pizza? Yeah. <laughs> Turtle power. No, we actually had Vietnamese sandwiches from an artisanal food truck outside the movie theater. More Asian so, than, the, than anyone in the movie. Okay. Exactly, exactly. But okay, so the deal with this movie, right, is that the turtles are funny, and they're fun, and the action sequences are really nice. Um, I love how the turtles flip whenever they jump anywhere, which is very <laughs> much keeping with the lore of unnecessary flipping being a thing. Yeah. Um, and the, the, um, the big issue with the movie, and I think you've touched on it, is that the movie, I didn't, I was 
wasn't even really I had heard about all this stuff about the script leaking and them changing it, but I hadn't really I wasn't really in front of mind when I was watching it. The movie really struck me as we have through commercial means been entrusted with the task of making a Ninja Turtles movie. We do not know what this movie is supposed to be about and we do not know why you guys want to see it, but we are going to make it anyway. That is like the meta message of this movie, right? And the movie is sort of a journey uh, toward uh, appreciating that, oh, we really like the Ninja Turtles. We think the Ninja Turtles are cool characters. We love them. They mean something to us. That's why we're making this movie. It's the big monologue by Raphael at the end. As, yep. uh, as like, contrasted to, over the entire first act of this movie, there is this in, just an inordinate number of scenes where people are arguing about whether or not it's plausible that the Ninja Turtles exist or whether the idea is too stupid. Yes, to yes, right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Like constantly, like, there's even that very self-aware scene where uh, April, well, April O'Neil and Will and Job, <laughs> April O'Neil and Job are, <laughs> yeah. are like arguing, or they're like trying to figure out what order to put the words in, right? right. It's like, so they're ninja mutant teenagers. Well, they're teenagers, but they're ninjas and they're mutants, but they're also turtles, right? Yeah. But they're mutant, and it's just like I don't know how this all works. Um, right. It's and, like when you know, when when she first meets the turtles. Uh, and then they say, like, well, you know, she's like, what are you? And Leonardo says, we're ninjas. And yeah. uh, Raphael says, we're mutants. And yeah. Donatello says, well, technically, we're turtles. Yeah. Michael just says, yeah, and we're teenagers. And she's like, so you're ninja, mutant, turtle, teenagers? And Donna's <laughs> like, well, when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That was the scene I was thinking about. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and and of course, all the scenes where Whoopi Goldberg is just like, this, you were stupid, April O'Neil, for suggesting yeah. that would want to see this story on a screen, right? right. Like, um, Which, of course, it, to me, belies, of course, a lack of confidence in the project, but also that that um, great superhero movies, great comic book movies, great action movies, really, um, they have a an elegance of relationship between kind of even theme the kinetic energy of the action sequences uh and, and subject matter and we talked about this with regards to the avengers i think i think um well, we talked about it with regards to a lot of things but one of my favorite instances to talk about is the scene in the avengers where captain america is like hand-to-hand fighting the nazis while iron man is trying to get the engine spinning and how yeah. this like scene illustrates things about their relationship with each other and with the world and with technology and how like and there's a really sense of like, okay, the story of these two characters is being told by the way that they're interacting with things in the context of this like $10 million CGI action scene. Whereas I don't think that they know what story they want to tell about the Ninja Turtles. It certainly isn't yep. about April O'Neil, right? It's because April O'Neil, like the highest praise you can give Megan Fox in this movie is that she did not quite ruin it. Right? True. Like, she did nothing. She contributes nothing. Um, well, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily lay that at her feet, right? She's not given, she's not given a ton to do right like oh, that's will, true but will arnett is, is given more to do is given yeah. like a stronger character arc than megan fox is right like, yeah but he can he can bear that you know i think that they may have they, they may have done that deliberately it's like okay this is we know what megan fox can do we know what will arnett can do no megan fox plays a lot of strong female characters you know i just want well, I mean, I actually rewatched the first Ninja Turtles movie today, like uh, after seeing the new one yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's remarkable how much more character development there is. For Absolutely. April- that movie than in this movie well, uh, and for, also, every, for every character, for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Like how the relation, well, because that movie is largely about teenagers, right? Yep. You could you could almost like go through them. You could say that like you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one is a movie about teenagers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two is a movie about mutants. Teenage Mutant yep. Ninja Turtles three is a, mutant a movie about, about ninjas. ninjas, right? And then like maybe the fourth one from two thousand seven that I didn't see is about turtles. I'm not sure. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's really good. Yeah, I I mean I, I highly recommend it. I think it's probably the second best turtles movie after the first one. After the first one. Yeah, and it, it, it horrifies me. For, it horrifies me. I would say shocked, but I raise it to horrifies that none of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies have gotten more than 40% Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Even, yeah. Even a retroactive combination of reviews. Because the first movie is great. It really uh-huh. is. It, it really, really holds up. Even, yeah. even the effects hold up really well. Yeah. I mean, it's puppets, but like we know how well, to engage with puppets. Right? It, like, it was a Jim Henson company, right? So they were at the four. Yeah, they were they were at the forefront of animatronics at the time that this movie was made. Uh, right, the original right. movie was made, so you know they really they didn't spare any expense. Um, yeah. 
actually, apparently, I, I I just recently learned that Jim Henson himself um, was not very happy with the movie um, because he doesn't like violence. He didn't yeah. like violence, so they actually toned it down a little bit. Well, yeah, because yeah, he never they never cut anybody. Like, there's that great scene right. where Leonardo like slashes at the guy, slashes at the guy, slashes at the guy, and then kicks him. Yeah, right, because uh, he doesn't want to hurt him. Um, but yeah, but the movie the movie didn't have a lot to. So the one someday scene, we'll find it. The turtle connection. <laughs> and the, the, yeah, it didn't, right, right. And that's why, Pete, that's why I would posit that the best scene in this movie, I mean, I agree with you. The first, the first act I, I wanted to flush down the toilet, right? Like, it was just like, it was like the, um, almost like, like, uh, uh, writing a college paper and writing and rewriting and rewriting the intro paragraph, like yeah. stating and restating and restating the a- the abstract of the movie, making the case time and time again for what this movie is and why it should exist. Like the like the book of Genesis giving like three accounts of the origin of the universe, right? Like and then like constantly constantly going back and uh, and rewriting rewriting these. I think for a similar reason the the end fight like the main fight is is uh it w- was pretty awful and we can talk about it yeah. in a minute but the one the one i want to talk about that i think is actually pretty good um and i think you've given us a key pete for for understanding why it's successful is the is the giant snow is the giant like uh you know 16 wheeler uh skiing scene you know yeah the snow Which, by the way uh if you're if you're looking off that mountain uh down into the into the, the town below that's actually the town where two of my roommates grew up tupper lake new york uh oh. very small town less than ten thousand people and uh it, the parts of the movie were filmed there uh the basement. and there's an underground tunnel that goes straight into new york city <laughs> yeah. it's like a water slide it goes from they're yeah. like traveling uh they're traveling on a snow slide and it converts to a water slide yeah you know and it's able to traverse the entire distance between upstate New York and New York City, which in real life, I think the distance is like 400, 400 500 miles uh-huh. in about, in, I think he says like 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, but that's faster, good. Faster than, the helico- faster than the helicopter, right? Because there's interaction between, between the characters. You see them like addressing problems in yep. ways unique to, to each of the characters, right? Like, uh, you know, um, Raphael wants to just be, uh, wants to just go tough guy. Everyone in my shield is cracked. Just tape it up and I'll go out there. And he's like, Oh, come on. Let me be the tough guy every, you know, every once in a while. Um, yeah. He said, let me be the badass, which yeah. impressed me. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's, um, uh, right. That's some, some salty language for the, yeah. It was like when, when Raphael kept yelling, damn, in the first one, it was, yeah. Yeah. Which was, was really dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I see your point. I see your point. I mean, I think that if there's one uh, really positive thing about this movie, there's one thing that they actually captured successfully. It's the relationships between the four turtles. Um, they yeah. really do. Co- they really do come off as brotherly, as you know, caring about each other. Their personalities are are intact. Um, so they, I think that's the big success of this movie. Uh, they yeah. really did. They really did capture that relationship well. They also felt like to me the most teenage of the teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I've seen. That's an interesting. That's a really interesting point, right? Like, and and their uh, their sort of disobedience, right? And their kind of petulance, and mm-hmm. their their um, kind of refusal to knuckle down to authority, and yeah, yet, their burgeoning sexuality, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also in the first movie, uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Where like Michael Michelangelo keeps seeing April O'Neil on TV, is like, "What a babe!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like the praise of of like a guy for a swimsuit model he'll never meet in real life, so that the yeah. people him think that he has good taste and is cool. Yeah, like it is. It is how a fifteen year old would 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 go about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but totally, yeah. Um, so that so that for you, Matt, was like the the sort of the quintessential scene about what was good about this movie was the was the long snow was the long snow sequence, right? Yeah. Like that, uh, uh, and and it had, I mean, it had. Um, it's what you said. It was the sort of uh, it was sort of thematically uh, uh, and action wise, kind of all all of a piece, right? Yes. The characters, the theme, and the action all sort of uh, all came together into something, as opposed to the awful just execrable final fight where it's like no one can beat this this robot ninja this this crazy shredder robot. Okay, let's do the same thing. 
uh, but all together. You know, let's, <laughs> yeah, right. let's, let's just repeat what we've done, uh, but the, the difference in our internal disposition, right? The difference in our, uh, our feelings, our sense of brotherhood and teamwork uh, will make the difference, right? And, and then, by the way, if they thought the mutagen was gone, why is the poison up in the tower, you know? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Putting the poison in the tower ahead of time is one of the stupidest moves I've ever heard from a supervillain ever. Like, is it implied that the poison, that enough poison to kill the entire city of New York has been loaded into the spire of a skyscraper since the construction of the skyscraper? Right. And it's just like, like, God help us if, uh, like, a valve rusts, right? Yeah. Or if, like, somebody goes up there and, like, tries to fix, like, the wiring for the radio station that broadcasts from up there. <laughs> And like accidentally yeah. sprays the the city with red mist of death, right? Like, uh, yeah. or like or you know, a, God forbid, I mean, if it leaks in the building. This is yeah. New York City. It's one of the most heavily regulated construction environments in the world, right? Yeah. Like there, you know, there's gotta be some you know city ordinance inspector up there, you know, making sure that the fire egress is adequate to the yeah. to the size of the building and whatnot, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I mean, know. it was a. It was a very um, generic action movie plot, uh, definitely. But but then again, Guardians of the Galaxy also had a very genetic, uh, generic science fiction movie plot. But they managed to get away with it, whereas the Ninja Turtles movie, yeah. I think, really didn't justify themselves. Like you can you can do that if you if you execute it well. But I think it just yeah. didn't didn't come off. Yeah. So so to sort of look at the sh- if, if you see this movie as kind of two movies that are happening parallel to each other rather be, like if you see the April O'Neil story and the Ninja Turtle movies the Ninja Turtle story as really not intersecting in too many meaningful places which I think mm. is kind of kind of true um, that there aren't all that many times where it's actually important that April O'Neil and the Ninja Turtles exist in the same world um, as evidenced by the like although God God love uh, Megan Fox for standing there kind of looking at things that are happening and, like, yep. she she was getting. The, she was getting the Brendan Fraser job in this one to be like, look mm. at the CGI, look at it. But the quintessential, the, the best scene, I thought, in Megan Fox's plotline in this movie, and you're totally right in that it's not all on her. Her What is her character's arc? Like, what is her character doing in this movie? Like, find out that the Ninja Turtles exist, discover the, her past with her family, and then... Like it's like that third it's like that third objective in any good video game mission where it's like April O'Neil must survive. Right? Yeah. Like it's like accomplish these two small objectives and then make sure that you don't die before the movie's over. And then well, she finished. starts out she starts out wanting to be a serious reporter. She's gonna yes. be relegated to these fluff pieces. Yeah. And she wants to find a real story and break it and, yeah. and sort of gain the respect and, and, and fame of, of being a real news reporter, a serious news reporter. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, she has been fired, and that's it. Yeah. She, doesn't, she doesn't get her job back. She, yeah. tries to te- she tries to tell her boss, Whoopi Goldberg, about the Ninja Turtles and gets fired. Yep. And that's it. She's not yeah. a reporter anymore. So like so like the main the main scene for her character is the scene where she's watching the video of herself videotaping mm. the Ninja Turtles as babies, right? right? And 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 the way that I see this is that April O'Neil's plot is it's not about April O'Neil becoming a legitimate news reporter because as you've described that doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. furthermore, like there are none of the reversals or plot complications or any of the other things that you would expect from a plot that's about serious news reporting, right? Because, like, the truth in April O'Neil's character's case is that it's not, like, there are reasons why she's not a serious news reporter, right? And she would have to overcome these reasons. It would have to be, like, how do I network more effectively? How do I influence people <laughs> in my workplace, right? Like, you know, how do I, you know, how, how do, what does it mean to be a professional woman or a professional person, right? Like, all this, all these challenges that you face trying to negotiate, I and mean, you could write a whole other movie about, like, Megan Fox's character in this movie trying to become, uh, it's, like, called Morning Glory, right, is what it's called. Alter. Um, but uh, but but the other thing is um, is that this is that scene is where she she's watching a movie that's da- uh, that's dated 1999 I believe is like the date that's in the corner of the screen when she starts mm-hmm. talking about it and she realizes upon watching this oh. These are the turtles that I watched on video in the '90s. I love these guys. Right? Like, like that's yeah. so. If Megan Fox's plot in this movie is like 
I don't know why anyone cares about the Ninja Turtles. I don't know why anybody believes this idea is even remotely plausible. I don't understand why nobody will talk to me about what is happening. Like, I have to, I have to tell the story of the Ninja Turtles. It is my job. It is my professional ambition to tell the story of the Ninja Turtles. But I don't know why to te- why I should tell it. Oh, I finally realized the reason I should tell the story of the Ninja Turtles is that they were on TV in the '90s and everybody loved them. Right. And then, then that, and those feelings carry over. Right. Like mm-hmm. those feelings from the past are coming in and being revisited in the present. In this, to this, in this degree, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the Dante's peak to Guardians of the Galaxy's volcano. Right, they are a movie pair, they, and, and there's actually another hint to that, which is how at the very, very end, Michelangelo plays the song. Right, he plays. Yep. Um, he plays. What song is it again? It's um. Happy, to, happy together by the. So title. happy together, which is exactly the same genre as all the songs in was the main songs in Guardian of the Galaxy, Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy, on the awesome mix. Right, it could right, it could right, be right. on the awesome mix. Right, so this is a, a movie that is taking that is looking back and taking elements of past movies that the parental generation, the current generation of new parents, right, saw these movies when they were younger and really loved them, and then this is a movie for the new younger generation that also appeals to the medium generation that is a meta movie movie about whether we should continue to make movies about these same things and yeah. rediscovering what we love about well, it's them. The, it's the that's same a really way, good point. The same way a lot of a lot of media that we've sort of seen over the last couple of years sort of flatters the baby boom generation, right? Mm-hmm. Like and sort of this is sort of flattering the generation X you know, and whatever we are, whatever kind of weird taint, generational taint, uh, we happen to fall into, falling between, I think, like the Generation X and the millennial, so-called millennial generation, right? Like, this is like, oh, no, no, your concerns were valid, you know? The things you liked, you liked because they were, in fact, awesome, right? Your prejudices are actually, uh, actually true, you know? And that, uh, yeah, uh, that's, um, that's how it uh i I don't know that's how it sort of falls together and and also kind of like um also kind of alleviating the anxiety about parenthood right and the world the world that you are sort of starting a family in you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like like addressing that um addressing that and like my 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 sort of uh corollary to this is the number of small small kids uh that i saw in in the the, the uh theater oh, yeah. uh yep. along al- who were brought there by their parents and i was um i was actually there with uh with pete with our friend javier uh you know two 30 year old guys reliving their their own childhoods and i had expected like a gritty reboot right like i had expected something that was maybe a little pg-13 or maybe a little not like suitable for kids right like for the young young kids so, but there were all these like cartoon trailers uh like clearly targeted at children movies um trailers that preceded this wh- which you know they wouldn't market those if they didn't think a lot of young kids were gonna were gonna come to this movie um and i and i thought that like well this must be i guess it must be for them they're they're here and they're being advertised at uh here in the movie here in the in the trailers to the movie, um, yeah. you know. I think uh, I think that that's a really good point, and it, it it the 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 one big callback to the original Turtles movie that happens in this one is also a flashback, right? It's where uh, Splinter is telling April about about the Turtles, you know, youth, like when they were really little kids, and growing up with with them as a fa- with with Splinter as a father, and they have a scene of Leonardo slicing up a pizza. And one slice falling on Splinter's head, and that is <laughs> yeah. that's lifted directly from the original Turtles movie, the 1990 first Turtles movie. So the fact that they have that as a flashback to when the Turtles were much much younger, uh, really, I think, yeah, it does speak to that point. It's like, yeah, you remember this. This happened a long time ago, but you remember it. It's part of it. Yeah. And but I just don't think I don't think it's they are as successful making a sophisticated. Well, okay. So here, here's the other thing: is that one of the big self-analysis scenes in the movie is very early on, and I'm still trying to figure out whether my initial reading of this is the right one, or maybe there's a there's a sort of a double take on this that we have to arrive at. But when Will Arnett has this big monologue, basically defending Michael Bay at the very beginning of the movie, right, where he, where he says <laughs> yep, people yep. like froth, right? Like it is entertaining. People yep. tune in. They're trying to watch froth. This is what they enjoy. It's like the sweet thing on top of the coffee, right? Like, everyone appreciates it. Do what you're 
good at is what yep. he says. Let's do yep. what we're good at. Let's make froth, right? Like, um, and, and it's like for me, what that reads as is a a mission statement for the movie that you're about to watch, Absolutely. and like a sort of petulant defense uh, of Michael Bay against his critics, which I don't think. It, I mean, Michael Bay didn't direct the movie, obviously. Yeah, but right. he was the long shadow of Michael Bay. You yeah. know, falls with sharply defined edges over this uh, movie. Yeah. I mean, the even like at the level of sound effects editing, right? Like the screeching that the uh, that the truck makes when it jackknifes on the road, right? Like is a Transformers sound, you know? Mm-hmm. The uh, the even I, I thought like this was Transformer robot shredder. Clearly, yeah. like in the in the aesthetic of the way, even the way the costume is designed. Yeah, very much. You know yeah. what I mean? In that it's not the original shredder, like hat well, original the the uh, 1980s cartoon shredder um, and the shredder of the uh, and the shredder of the um, uh, the films right there was a certain elegance uh, there was a certain kind of classical um, beauty to the design of that costume and it was very it was very deadly but the the blades like that uh, you know on the shoulder things and on the wrist things like the blades were like were elegant were sort of sweeping and and uh you know yeah, it's all an expansion of the design of the kabuto the traditional japanese helmet of the kabuto which yeah. is what shredder wears right quite, lo- right. quite, yeah. quite lovely looking right like yeah, quite, yeah quite aesthetically pleasing whereas this was like the the evil was like the decepticons in in transformer in transformers it was like uh you know i don't know the, this sort of like anti-aesthetic of of you know too much kind of steampunk uh you know, I don't know, CGI steampunk to the nth degree, uh, kind of defiantly ugly. Yeah, um, it was yeah. kind of a mess. It was like as if uh, as if Shredder's uh, Shredder's armor had metastasized and just wouldn't stop growing. Yeah, as, of, as of if, out of control. Like as if they had a couple extra CPU cycles in the render farm of the Transformers movie <laughs> that came out yeah. this year, and just spent just like you know uh, uh, willy nilly aimed the beam at the to, at the Shredder costume, and and this is what came out. I don't know. Yeah. It, you know, I I. It, Clearly, I didn't. I didn't love that part about it. I. I was thought. I mean, I. I was trying to think like there were no characters to speak of outside of the turtles in in this movie. I. I was moved to think of what you say about wrestling commentary, Pete, in the Whoopi Goldberg scenes, which is that Whoopi Goldberg's job was to say to make counterfactual statements with yeah. with great conviction. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like in wrestling commentary, you have one commentator who tells you what's happening, and the other one who says the opposite of what's happening as loudly as possible. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, the Undertaker's really got him where he wants him, JD. <laughs> like, oh, the humanity. <laughs> and the choke slam on the Undertaker. <laughs> I, right. That, that, like, uh, that, that was Whoopi Goldberg's job in this movie. But yeah. the, the only, I mean, the only, the only thing was was will arnett right like and and who was will who was will arnett sort of supposed to be in the grand theory of the of the film that we're developing right like it's uh i i mean it's us right but in in what respect um i think that like his uh i i think that he and april o'neill kind of make kind of make a unit right with uh with april representing the the unambiguous uh embrace the sort of uncritical um uh nostalgia for uh what things used to be like and what entertainment used to be like and what childhood used to be like uh and will arnett representing a slightly more jaundiced uh view about that right like will arnett being the side of each of our personalities that has made its peace with the uh with the compromises of adulthood right, right that has right. Be- that has become um you know a little cynical or has has you know learned to look on the world with a uh with a slightly jaundiced eye right with, his, right. with his trilby down over his uh, yeah but ba- april <laughs> april o'neil ultimately wins right because she he does say uh, he come he he does come down to it and says i'm sorry i thought you were crazy yeah, he, fe- he he his car also he come- gets blown up, blown up, so he loses that, in that respect. Yeah. Also, that too, <laughs> that too. It was an accident, though. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know. So, so looking back, so okay, if we, if we look back at the original script that Richard was talking about, and we say, okay, in the original script, and I looked it up a little bit on IO9 too, and it was in the original script, April and Casey Jones were teenagers yeah. of themselves, right? And so, and then in the 1990 script, um, the way that it works is Casey Jones is kind of a guy with arrested development issues. Um, right. Although this guy also has arrested development issues because he's Joe. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. so that might be why. But the idea is that Casey Jones is the most Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle-like person that there is. So he's kind of like between the worlds of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and the people. And, mm-hmm. and usually his journey in the movies is like from the turtleness to like personness. Right, like he and he sort of like, and that's what happens with him and April O'Neil is that he sort of grows up and learns to have a more mature relationship, right? And like kind of recognizes how that happens. Um, right, that's that's also like, yeah, that's also one of the themes in the in the TMNT in the 2007 movie. Yeah, uh, where they've now been in a relationship for a while, and Casey is really angsty about his what he feels is his inability to grow up to April's level. Right, right, right. So, like, the fact, a lot of people, so, okay, so when Will Arnett's character says, what people really want is froth, the thing that I really wanted to say to cap that all off is that, like, people say that about movies all the time, and they're almost always wrong. People are like, this movie's a great popcorn movie. It's really nothing to think too hard about, but I really appreciate it, right? It was a fun time, and you shouldn't criticize these sorts of movies. This is overthinking it, of course. This is our mission statement, and I feel like since we founded the site, this opinion has become a lot less controversial, but, like, no. Even an action movie that is perceived as like borderline competent is going to have a great deal of thematic complexity, or at least very, at the very least, some internal skeletal, skeletal, skeletal structure of ideas, right? That kind of make the characters and the sequences and the plotline all make sense together in some way. Like you can watch freaking In the Name of the King two with Dolph Lundgren on it, and you're like, oh, like this is kind of about PTSD, right? Like this is a movie that's kind of about something. Like it's almost never just about froth and just about. Fun. Um, and so in this case, people understand that when they put together the Ninja Turtle movies, even the terrible ones, a lot of them latch on and they're like, oh, okay, like they're teenagers. Maybe I should write a story about people growing up and mm-hmm. have to do it, you know, and it's like then the story will make sense in the context of them being teenagers and it'll find we'll find areas and places for it to fit together. Um, and you get the sense in this movie that um, April O'Neil and like Job, I don't even remember his name in the movie. Well, uh, Vern. Hey Vern, it's me, Ernest. Right? Maybe that's yeah. who he is. Uh, maybe, maybe the script was taken from an Ernest movie and worked. In yeah. It. Well, they shortened. He, he's supposed to be Vernon in the original cartoon, uh-huh. but I guess that was too, too much for for this. Oh, that guy! I remember. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Who's basically the opposite of how he was portrayed here. Like here, he was supposed to be. Yeah, he was kind of smarmy, but he was supposed to be the serious reporter. Yeah. Whereas in the original cartoon. April was the serious reporter, and Vernon was the guy who was in it just to be on TV, basically. And he wasn't—he was the cameraman, but he was in it for the for the for the for the froth, you know. He wanted yeah. to be close to big events. Yeah, yeah. He wanted, he, he would be like in in a more contemporary story, he'd be like a paparazzi chasing Paris Hilton. Right. right exactly. Right. Um, and so any, of course, now, oh, look, there's another story that would be more interesting than the one we're currently telling, right? <laughs> like, where, like, April, where Vernon leads April on a chase where they have to photograph Paris Hilton coming out of a big premiere, but then April finds out secretly the Foot Clan's going to attack the premiere, doesn't tell anyone so that she can be there to photograph the premiere. I mean, like, you can just easily figure out ways for all these stories to fit together. Yeah. And I'm yep. just, I'm just, I'm, am I just missing it? Or is Will Arnett's character really have no purpose in this movie other than to be a placeholder for a romantic relationship well to almost to, like it's there isn't really a romantic relationship right like it's it's almost sort of just indicated at at a yeah. romantic relationship and will like will arnett's job is to to be the guy who wishes he was in an r-rated movie but who's actually <laughs> in, in a pg-rated movie well know? that's also michelangelo's role <laughs> i actually thought i actually that was one of the things that impressed me that they didn't shoehorn in a uh, a romantic subplot between April and Vernon, like it's obvious, you know, throughout the whole thing that Vernon is interested in April, mm-hmm. and that she is not interested in him. And uh, it was, I thought, surprisingly respectful to the character of April that they didn't compromise that for the big kiss at the end. Right, right, right. That's true. You know, so I was actually impressed because, uh, you know, he clearly he saw himself as the romantic lead in this movie. Yeah, and um. 
you know, to the extent that he was like competing with Michelangelo, who also has no shot with her. Yeah. Um, but it's the same kind of adolescent, you know, oh, I'm, I'm awesome. Why wouldn't she, why wouldn't she be interested in me? You know? Yeah. Um, but they didn't go for that, uh, which is another thing that maybe shouldn't, maybe shouldn't impress me as much as it does. Um, and that might be an artifact of my very, very low expectations. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, they could have done that, and it would have made it a lot worse yeah. than it is. And this is not to say that Will Arnett's character is unpleasant. I mean, I was happy no, most of the time I saw him on screen. It's just like I want to see him plugged into the story in some way. You yeah. know, like I, I appreciated that he was in it. He was kind of a voice of the audience to an extent. He was a friendly face, right? Well, we he, were, you know, he knows how funny. he knows how to drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's his main his main point in a movie. That's it? true. Yeah, Will Arnett is the guy hanging out outside the Seven Eleven who's willing to buy you beer. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's what that's what his uh, his main point point is. Um, all right. Well, for thematic complexity uh, and you know naughty uh, deep issues to consider, I I am anticipating that we will have to look no farther than The Expendables Three next. Uh, Woohoo! Uh, next week. <laughs> You know, like we don't often call our shot on uh, on this podcast because, you know, a lot of stuff can happen between now and next week. But get your tickets now. Um, Pete Fenza will be watching this film on his birthday. Yes, that's true. Happy birthday, Pete. <laughs> Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Next, uh, I, next I, Friday. Yeah. I intend, I don't know, maybe, well, maybe I'll get tickets to that same movie theater and I can recline my way into the next year of my life. You know, the um, first, the original four Ninja Turtles movies all came out either on or very close to my birthday. This is the first Ninja Turtles movie that has been in a different season than my birthday. And I think that they, they, they might have done that on purpose. So wait, your birthday's in April then, right? My birthday's in March. Oh, it's in March. Because I remember yeah. going to see the Ninja Turtles movies every spring vacation. Right. So, so yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Because they came out regularly too. Like you know. Yep. Compare that to the modern time frame. First one comes out in 1990. Second one comes out in 1991. Yeah. Right? Like, and the third, third one, one was like 1993. Right. Right. Yeah. But even the even the fourth one was in 2007. I went to see on my birthday. It came out in the same season, like in the same, the same week almost, same two two week span. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and they decided to make this a summer movie, which I you know. I think they did it just to spite me, but whatever. I think you need to go back to their roots and have us watch it on spring vacation. Well, I agree. We'll be back next week with more uh, Overthinking a Podcast. Hey, hey Pete, you remember that thing you used to say to end the podcast? That thing you used to say? Do you think Uh you have one? Do you you think you have one in you now? Because we could sure use it. (laughs) I mean, it's been building up for a long time, and I've got it ready for you right now. Let it out, baby. This podcast is ruined. <laughs> it probably, probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Cowabunga, dudes! <laughs> wow, gosh, that's uh. <laughs> I because there's really only one way to end this podcast, but I'm having yeah. difficulty making a joke. So can everybody for a moment just visualize that I just made a great joke? You got it in your minds right now? Hold on. Okay. okay. I got it. All right. I made another funny. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs>